Welcome to A Flame for Christ, homilies to set your heart on fire with love for Jesus Christ. Today we're talking about vocations. So we hear that word vocation quite a bit in the church, and it comes from the Latin vocare, which means to call. But what is our vocation? Well, the Second Vatican Council was actually very clear that everyone's vocation is the same. Our vocation is holiness. You and I and every other human being who's ever existed has the same call to live intimately united with Christ, to live transformed in Christ, so that his holiness may be lived out through us. That is our main vocation. But, of course, not everyone lives out holiness in the same way. We need to have mothers and fathers. We need to have trash collectors and lawyers. We need to have priests and nuns. And so that's where we take that grand vocation of holiness and we boil it down into four states of life, four kind of mini vocations, as it were, which is often when we talk about our vocation, this is what we're talking about. What is God's specific call for your life? And those four states of life that we could be called to are the single life, and I mean that by the consecrated single life, not just somebody who's dating around, not just a bachelor, but somebody who's given their life to Christ to work and live in the world. So we got the single life, we have consecrated life, that is nuns and brothers who are not ordained, but who give their life totally to Christ and join a religious community in doing so. We do have holy orders. We have priests, both priests or diocesan priests, who are attached to one diocese. For example, I'm a priest of the Diocese of Bridgeport, Connecticut, and barring some extraordinary circumstance, my entire life will be lived out here in this one county in Connecticut. But there's also religious priests. We think of the Franciscans, the Dominicans, the Jesuits, the Legionaries of Christ, and so many other priests who belong to a religious community which have a specific charism. But of course, the vocation to which most people are called is the vocation of marriage. And even though marriage is a natural reality, it's also a supernatural reality because it's been elevated by Jesus Christ to the level of a sacrament. And thank goodness it has been because marriage is insanely difficult. Remember one time I invited a couple in to speak to my seventh grade class to talk about the sacrament of matrimony. They'd been married for over 50 years, and so I thought they'd be a great example. And so they give this beautiful presentation, and at the end of the presentation, I open it up for any questions. And this one very precocious 12-year-old boy raises his hand and says, I got a question. Did you guys ever think about splitting up? Well, the things got really awkward in the room at that moment as the husband and wife kind of look at each other uncomfortably. And finally, the woman says, well... Yes, there have been days. And the man looks at her in shock and says, Really? You too? The reality is that marriage is fantastically difficult, not only because of the calling, but also because it's just the human reality, right? We take two human beings, both of whom are frail, weak, sinful, flawed human beings, and we put them together for life. But of course, this is precisely what makes marriage sanctifying. That it's through marriage that our faults rise to the surface so that they can then be skimmed off. It's much like how people purify gold if you're a goldsmith and want to make a fine ring. Gold is full of lots of impurities when you get it in nature, so you have to heat it up to a high degree so that the gold and the impurities will separate. And once the impurities have risen to the top, they can be dealt with and skimmed away. So it is with the crucible of marriage. Because of the intensity of you having to live with this one person for the rest of your life, your faults are going to rise to the surface. That impatience, that sharp tongue, that temper, that lack of custody of the eyes, whatever it is that we're dealing with, these things are going to rise to the surface. And well, perhaps if somebody was a bachelor, they didn't have to deal with it. Now they have to because their life is no longer their own. It belongs to another person. Ultimately, though, 
our calling in matrimony is what makes it so difficult because marriage is meant to be lived like Christ lived his marriage. Well, what was his marriage? Well, it says in Ephesians chapter 5 that Christ loved the church so much that he gave himself up to death to cleanse his bride, right? Just as Adam, the first man created without original sin in the sleep, in sleep, came forth from his side, his bride from a rib, Eve came forth from his side. So Christ, the new Adam hanging upon the cross from his side flows forth blood and water, the symbols of baptism in the Eucharist, the two sacraments that make up his bride, the church. And so every marriage is meant to be an image of Christ's love for his church. But that means that every husband and wife are called to lay down their life in imitation of Christ who laid down his life for us on the cross. That, my friends, is a tremendously high calling. The fact that we're living out not only sacrifice, but faithfulness, faithfulness unto death with this one person who may or may not be easy to live with. But thanks be to God, though, he gave us a sacrament to make this holy, to make it possible, right? Because God is not just an add-on to, a, to the, um, a marriage, but rather he is the very glue, the very binding force between husband and wife. And it's, it's in those crisis moments, those moments of the crucible, where our faults are rising to the surface and where we're struggling, that we call upon the grace of the sacrament of matrimony, whether we've had that sacrament 10 years ago or 50 years ago. You think, too, about the magnitude of the challenges of marriage because of the, the very high purposes for which God created marriage. You see, marriage was not created just because we'd be bored or because we'd be lonely, but rather for two main purposes. The first purpose and actually, the primary purpose is taught by the Catholic Church from all the way back in the encyclical Casti Canubi, which was the first encyclical written on marriage in the 1920s. They said that the first, cause, the first purpose for marriage is to raise children for the kingdom of heaven. The secondary purpose is to help get your spouse to heaven. Now, one may say, well, why is children for the kingdom actually primary and the other one secondary? Well, because there's only one way in the entire world that one can have children. And that is through the sacrament of matrimony. Every other way of having children is illicit and immoral, right? A sexual activity outside of marriage is a grave mortal sin. However, there's many ways in which we can sanctify another human person. As a priest, I sanctify people all the time by my preaching, hopefully by my example, by my prayers. And so, so it is with other people that we can sanctify our friends, our families, our neighbor, our co-workers. But only in one way can we bring forth children. And that is why it's the primary goal but that should make us tremble, right? I know that when I stand before Christ as a priest, he's going to look at me and ask, how well did you get your parishioners to heaven? And I know that when God speaks to a father or a mother after death, he's going to ask, how well did you lead your kids to heaven? You may be familiar with the great story of Saints Louis and Zeely Martin. The two of them wanted to become religious. In fact, Zeely applied to a convent but wasn't able to uh, stay there because of her difficult health situation. Louis applied to seminary but hadn't had the education and was unable to learn Latin. And so the two of them dropped out and indeed sought a holy matrimony. One day they were walking and they crossed each other on a bridge and God spoke to Zeely and said, this is the man that I've set apart for you. And so the two of them ended up courting and getting married. And initially, their marriage was what's called a Josephite marriage, which means that they abstained from sexual relations for a spiritual purpose. But later on, they decided that no, God wanted them to actually bring forth those children. And so God blessed them with five daughters that lived to adulthood and four children that died very young. And of these five daughters, all five 
entered the convent, one of whom is a saint, St. Therese of Lisieux. And they did this by making their family into a domestic church, by Louis truly being the priest of the domestic church, by leading the family in prayer, leading them on pilgrimages, by making the the family life a life of virtue and a school of virtue to learn about how to live a holy life. And they were extremely successful. One of St. Therese's other siblings is actually on the path to canonization at this time as well. But in addition to raising children for the kingdom, the other purpose for marriage is indeed to get your spouse to heaven. I love that great example of Saints Timothy and Mora. Timothy was a deacon in the early church, and Mora was his wife, and they lived a very happy life, but this was under one of the persecutions of the Roman emperor. And so finding that Timothy was a deacon, he was arrested and tortured, and tried to give, they tried to get him to give up his Catholic faith. But of course, having a firm heart, he declined. So they pulled out the nu- nuclear option and brought in Mora and promised to torture her if he didn't give up the Catholic faith. But Mora just looked at him and said, If you deny the Catholic faith, I will never speak to you again. And so knowing that neither of them would give up the faith, they decided to torture both of them together and to end up hanging them on a cross. And while they were there on the cross, they became each other's strength. When Timothy was wavering in his faith, Mora would hold him up and strengthen him. When Mora was having difficulty, Timothy would be there to strengthen her. And so the two of them died a beautiful, holy death together, both as martyrs, showing the power to sanctify one another in the sacrament of matrimony. But, although many people are called to the sacrament of matrimony, many people also are called to give that up for the sake of Christ. In fact, St. John Bosco, who worked with young people his entire life, said that one in ten, ten percent of young people, have a calling to the religious life, to priesthood, or to become a nun. And that seems like a lot, but in, in today's world, of course, you know, where a lot of people are very stingy with their life and with their time, but the truth is God is placing many vocations, many callings to live a radical life for Christ on hearts that simply aren't listening. But when we give up a lot for the Lord, we receive back a tremendous amount. There's a great story about a father who one time gave his daughter a necklace made from false pearls. It was one of those, you know, plastic jewelry imitation uh, pieces of jewelry that she absolutely cherished because she loved her father. And so she wore it all the time, even to bed. Every single day, she would wear this, this fake plastic ne- necklace that looked like pearls. Well, finally, after several months of wearing it, the father comes up to her and says, Daughter, do you love your necklace? Oh, yes, father, yes. Daughter, do you love me? And the daughter says, Of course, daddy, I love you. And the father says, if you love me, will you give me the necklace? And the daughter was torn. She said, oh, daddy, I I love this, but do I have to? And the father said, no, no, you don't have to, but will you do it for love? She said, oh, uh, no, no, I won't. And she couldn't do it. And so the next day they had that same conversation. Daughter, do you love me? Yes, daddy, I love you. Will you give me your necklace? Oh, I don't know. I, I can't, I can't. And for several days, several weeks, this conversation went on as the father tried to elicit the the daughter's love. And the daughter, even though she loved her father, couldn't part with this most precious gift that she had. And yet her conscience kept nagging at her. And she knew that if she really loved her father, she'd be willing to give up this precious gift. And so finally, one day, she said, yes, daddy, I love you. Here, take my necklace. And she handed over this necklace. The father then pulled out from his dresser drawer a real pearl necklace made with the finest, most expensive pearls and put that around his daughter's neck and said, because I love you and because you gave up your false pearl necklace, I will give you a far greater prize. Imagine her joy when she received that. And that's the reality about giving up our life for Christ. 
many young people are afraid to do it because they're like, well, what am I giving up? But my friends, whatever we give up cannot compare to what God is going to give to us. I mean, people look at me as a priest and say, wow, you're a priest, you gave up so much. But my friends, I get to hold bread in my hands every day and pronounce those words, this is my body, and turn it into the very body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ himself. Is there any greater gift in the entire universe than having that power to stand in the person of Christ? Not too long ago, I was hearing confessions at a youth retreat, and this one middle school kid, probably not thinking, he came up and he genuflected to me. And I kind of had a laugh about that. And later on, I was telling some people at the retreat about what happened. And one of them looked at me and said, well, that's because he recognizes you're an altar Christus. And I thought, whoa, you're right. I mean, it's probably absent-minded on the boy's part, but that's the truth, is that I stand in the person of Christ to be able to take away sins, to be able to bring to God the prayers of the people and to bring God to the people who are hurting and desperately need him. What a gift that is, which far surpasses all that we've given up. And so what do we give up as priests, as nuns, as religious? Well, there's three what we call evangelical counsels. This is the gospel advice for those who want to seek a greater perfection. And the three are poverty, chastity, and obedience. Poverty, to give up possessions, to live a simple, humble life. And ultimately, for those who are in religious life, to allow to have that kind of simplicity whereby you truly own nothing, but everything is owned by the order. That's not to say that possessions are bad, but rather it's to have that interior freedom whereby we are not attached to the things of the world so we can become attached to Jesus Christ. We have chastity, which a lot of people look at as a negative. Oh, we're saying no to marriage. True, but we're saying a radical yes to a profound love and intimacy with Jesus Christ. I'm so blessed as a priest that I get to spend hours, about three hours a day, every day, in prayer between a holy hour and a rosary and the liturgy of the hours, mass. I absolutely love spending that time with our Eucharistic Lord, and I would never be able to do that if I were married, if I had a family. And so it's that radical availability to say, Lord, use me. Send me where the gospel needs me. Send me where you need me because my heart belongs to you alone. And then we have obedience. That giving up of our will to another. For me, it's my bishop. For those in religious life, it's to their superior. And it's kind of scary, certainly. There are some assignments that I never, ever would have selected. For example, my first assignment as a priest was wonderful. I loved being at St. Mary's Parish in Bethel, Connecticut. And then the bishop called me up and said, I need you to move to St. Mary's in Stamford. So I didn't ask any questions. In fact, I didn't know anything about the parish. And I moved down there. And much to my surprise, I found that it was a Hispanic parish. And I speak no Spanish, no hablo espanol. And so it was a rather interesting and challenging couple of years to try to pick up a little bit of Spanish, to try to minister to a a culture and a community that was so foreign from my own experience. And I remember about eight months into the assignment, the bishop called me up and said, hey, you know, how you doing? And I said, oh, bishop, you know, it's been a struggle. He says, oh, why is that? You know, how's your Spanish coming along? And I said, bishop, I don't speak Spanish. And he said, wait, what, really? I thought you did. So it was a little bit of a, an accident, I think, on his part to assign me there. But nevertheless, I see precisely how the Holy Spirit has worked in my life. There were so many opportunities I had and so many people I got to know through that experience of being assigned to downtown Stanford that I never would have chosen on my own. But because the Holy Spirit knew better than me and the Holy Spirit worked through my superior, I found a great freedom in that. And I found an unexpected blessing in the blessings of that challenging assignment. So my friends, this is the great gift that we have in giving up our life for Christ. 
Now, many people out there who are listening to this are probably torn because they're thinking, especially our young people, well, I, I want to follow Christ, but I also feel called to marriage. What am I supposed to do? Well, my friends, marriage is a natural calling, but the priesthood of religious life is a supernatural calling. So everyone, including myself, has a desire for marriage. I see the beauty of marriage. I would love to have a wife and kids. I would love to have a family. I think that's an absolutely beautiful gift. But I also felt a call on my life to give it up for Jesus Christ. So if you feel both the natural calling to marriage and the supernatural calling to give it up, follow the supernatural calling because that's a way in which God is really speaking to you. But of course, we discern this. We discern it through looking at the desires he's placed on our heart. We discern it by looking objectively at our gifts and talents and where we think we can fit best in the kingdom. We look at outside influences. Perhaps someone has come up to us and said, hey, have you ever thought about the priesthood? Have you ever thought about religious life? And finally, where do we find peace? Do we find peace when we think about the priesthood? Do we find peace when we think about religious life? Or do we find peace when we think about marriage? Peace is a good sign that we're following the will of God. But no matter what your vocation is, the key is to live it with generosity. So if you're single, don't live as a bachelor. Rather, live with generosity, using your time to volunteer, using your disposable income to support good charities and the church and to help the poor. If you're married, live it generously. Be open to life and accept as many children as the Lord wants to give you because we can't turn down a gift without offending the giver. So therefore, we should welcome the gifts of new life whenever God gives it. And finally, if you're called to the priest in religious life, live that generously. Don't hold back, but give the Lord everything, your thoughts, your worries, your future. Just totally surrender it into his hands and work and labor for the salvation of his souls and the advancement of his kingdom. My friends, pray. Pray for an increase in vocations to the priest in religious life. Pray for the strengthening of all marriages. And pray for our young people who are trying to discern where God is calling them. Because I believe that God wants us to know his will more than we want to know it. And so if we are open and we just turn to the Lord and say, Lord, I will do whatever you ask, speak to me, then I guarantee he will make it known when he wants it known for us. My friends, if we do our best to follow God's will, we will never be disappointed and he will give us blessings and joy beyond anything we can imagine. And more than that, he can make us a saint. 